Our second reading is from John chapter 6 on page 982. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee for Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but there are so many. But what are they for so many? Then Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, Collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves, that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who was to come who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to take him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not come to them. Then a high wind rose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about four or five, three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew there had been only one boat. They also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, 
just as, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the living, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will pray, raise him up on the last day. Thank you, Linda. Let's start tonight by a quote I read in a newspaper quite recently, and it resonated with me. It says this. It's about Australia. It says, We are more prosperous than ever before, yet more anxious, more miserable, and more melancholic. Don't you find that fascinating? We are more prosperous as a nation than ever before, yet we are more anxious, more miserable, and more melancholic. You know that Australian uh, proportionally have more millionaires than any country in the world. Yet we have the second highest rate of anxiety and discontentment. Scary, isn't it? The, the, the richer that we become, the, the less satisfied with life we seem to become. The more you have, the more that you want. The more you have, the less satisfied you really are. I was recently reading a biography, please don't judge me on this, uh, Robbie Williams' biography, it's called <laughs> Feel. Uh, there's a man who's got everything, you know, he's wealthy, he's famous, he's popular, he's got the lifestyle, he's got the fame. He was asked to describe or to sum up his life in one word. Here's the word he chose, he chose the word empty. Does that surprise you? All the wealth in the world, all the popularity, all the fame, but you're still empty. So let me ask you tonight, what are you anxious about? What are you discontent about? What are you not satisfied about? What are you worried about? Paying off your mortgage? Health issues? Your work? Your singleness? Your marriage? What are you concerned about? What, what are you dissatisfied with? What do you want God just to solve in your life? As you see, for many of us, I think we, we see Jesus a bit like a, a ticket to heaven. We've got the ticket. We sit in church week in, week out, and we sing the songs, and we say the prayers. We've got the ticket in our hand, and we've got the get-out-of-jail card in our hand. He'll get us there. We on the last day, you can rock up with God and say, I believed in Jesus. But the sad reality is, for most of us, Jesus doesn't really make a difference today. 
We race through life looking for our satisfaction and our contentment and our fulfillment in the stuff of this world. I'll be happy when. I'll be satisfied when. And we chase through life working for what Jesus calls food that perishes. The stuff of all this world. But we must pray for those who have suffered incredible loss in the bushfires. We must pray for those who wake up today and tomorrow with all their possessions gone. But if you've spoken to people who have lost everything in a fire like that, they will tell you it was a wake-up call that all the stuff doesn't really matter. It's the members that are really hard. But possessions, it's just stuff. Jesus makes an incredible claim in verse 35, and I don't think that we believe him. He says this, he says, I am the bread of life. I am your staple diet. I will feed you every day. I'll give you everything you need. I'll satisfy you totally. And no one who comes to me, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl, doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, if you come to me, you'll never be hungry. And if you believe in me, you will never thirst again. He said, I will totally satisfy you. I won't just give you the ticket to heaven, but on your journey to heaven every day, I'll be there with you. I'll provide for you. I'll satisfy you. You'll be totally content until you get there. So do you believe that? The shock in this reading is not just what Jesus claims. It's it's the the attitude of the crowd. See, the chapter begins in chapter 6 with lots of people listening and lots of people following. You've got the crowd, you've got 5,000 men, that's maybe 20,000 people there, and they see the miracle, they hear the teaching. But look how the chapter ends. Verse 60. Uh, When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard, who can accept it? Verse 66, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied Jesus. Many chose to reject Jesus, desert Jesus, because they were dissatisfied and disillusioned and disappointed, and no doubt spent the rest of their lives looking for satisfaction and contentment in the stuff of this world. Tonight I want to do two things. I want to look at the miracle and then the meaning. So here's the miracle. The feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And John recalls this as fact, as eyewitness. He tells you where it happened in verse 1. We're at the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. We're on the east side of the sea. It's, it's known as both Galilee and Tiberias after the emperor. It's a bit like Harvard and Freshwater. It's got two names, same place. We're there in Galilee. When is this, verse 4? Well, the Passover is about to happen. What does the Passover mean for the Jewish people? The Passover is about remembering, remembering God's prophet, Moses, remembering God's provision of all the, the manna from heaven, remembering God's protection, remembering God's rescue, remembering the promised land, remembering that God meets, met their every need, not just saving them, but providing for them. So, so we know the, the when, we know the where, we know the what, we've got the details. It's packed with details. Verse 2, a huge crowd was following Jesus because they saw the signs. 
When you read that, you're supposed to have the alarm bells ringing. Remember John chapter 2? Jesus says, don't trust people who follow me just because they see the signs. They just want the slot machine Jesus who will just perform miracles and give them what they want. But Jesus sits down with his disciples in verse 3. He goes to be alone. But the crowd follow in verse 5. And when you read the word crowd, uh, when you understand the feeding of the 5,000, please don't think sort of, I know, 6.45 at church by the bridge and we, we finish the service and someone goes, who's on supper tonight? Ah, oh, no one's rostered on and oh, all the supermarkets have closed and what are we going to do? And, and some uh, weird person stands up and says, I'll perform a miracle and I'll feed these 100 people. You're supposed to think Saturday the 14th of December down under the bridge at Cowers under the bridge where 10,000 people gather and it's 5.30 at night and everyone's forgot to bring their food and Barcino's is closed and the peach shop is shut and there's no food stores and everyone's tummies are rumbling and one man stands up and says, I'll perform a miracle, I'll feed you all tonight. That's what you're supposed to think. You've got the details, it's about 10, 20,000 people and they're hungry. You've got the names. Philip is there in verse 5. He actually lived in this place. And so that's why Jesus said, where will we get the bread to eat? Where are the shops here? But Jesus knew what he was about to do in verse 6. And Philip answers correctly. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't feed these people. That's eight months' wages. They wouldn't provide enough bread for everyone to have one bite. He says, Jesus, this is impossible. You're out of your brains. But Andrew has got brains, hasn't he? Verse 8. Great idea. There's a boy with a packed lunch. A little boy down here has got five bilos and two fish. Uh, the bilos were the, the staple diet for the poor people. It's his poor man's bread. It's not your, your beautiful sourdough. It's, got, it's, it's this Woolies home brand little rolls. He's got five little tiny rolls. And when you read two fish, please don't think massive barramundi. Think two sardines. You've got a little boy, five Woolies brand bread rolls, and you've got two sardines, a tiny lunch, 10,000 people. You're thinking this is ridiculous. And Jesus says to his disciples, have the people sit down. If you were a disciple that night, how would you feel at this point? Take a seat. We're about to feed you all. A bit embarrassed, maybe a bit excited. And there was plenty of grass in that area, so Jesus took the loaves in verse 11 and he lifted his hands to heaven as he always did and gave thanks to his Father. Thank you for this food, Lord. And these five small loaves and these two small fish, he distributed them to those who were seated, the 20,000 people. And look at the end of the verse. They had as much as they, what's the word there? As much as they wanted. They were satisfied. And when they were full, they ate and they ate and they ate. Jesus wasn't just providing a small bite to keep them going until they could get home and feed themselves. He actually gave them a feast. He met their every need. They ate until they were no longer hungry. And Jesus, with an eye for the poor, says in verse 12, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted and they collected and filled 12 baskets, literally 12 skips. They're like a dollar dump. So 12 skips full 
of leftovers. 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel. He's saying, I am more than able to feed all of God's people at any time and totally satisfy them. And that's the miracle. And it happened. Do you read your Bible as though it's fact? Or as though it's just fiction? Do you read the Bible as though uh, you're just a part of a movie, like a James Bond movie, where it's, oh, that's just beyond the imagination. Or you go, this really happened. I heard of a man this week who was converted in the most miraculous way. He was converted. Guess which part of the Bible he was reading? The maps at the back of the Bible. <laughs> As he sat in church, he looked at the maps at the back of the Bible and looked at the places and looked at the names and went, wow, this is history. Jesus actually lived here and went back to the Gospels and actually then said this was a real man in history and gave his life to Christ. And we're supposed to read the Gospels like that. I could have been there that day. I could have seen Jesus giving thanks. I, I could have eaten the food. I could have eaten the abundance. And I could have been on a boat that night. Verse 16, when it gets dark, Jesus gets into a boat. Sorry, the disciples get into a boat. And, and they, they row five kilometers to the middle of, of the sea. I love verse 17. It says, darkness had already set in. But Jesus had not yet come to them. See the deeper meaning in John? If Jesus isn't there, you're still in darkness. If the light of the world is not there, you're still in darkness. He's saying more than it was just nighttime, but Jesus was not there with them. And so they're in the darkness. And in the storms of life. And the seas begins to churn and they're panicking. And who do they see? Verse 19, they see Jesus, he's walking on water. And like you and I, verse 19, they were terrified. And Jesus speaks. I love what Jesus says. He says it so often. He says, literally, I am. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says, I am. And they were willing to take hold of Jesus. And so they were satisfied. So, so that's, that's the miracles. That's what happened. I don't know, maybe you're here tonight and you're a skeptic. There's lots of skeptics who just don't really believe these things happen. You struggle to accept the miraculous. I was reading some commentaries this week. Uh, people said things like, oh, when Jesus walked on the water, it was just because there was a, a, a sandbank at that place that you couldn't really see. This is the best one. The little boy was an example for the rest of the crowd. And so when he took his lunch forward, everybody else brought out all the picnics that they'd bought, and they had a kind of big bring and share. Because they didn't believe that Jesus could do miracles. And I have to ask you, do you believe that Jesus can do miracles? Or do you just see life through this earthly mindset, what you can explain, what you can know? Because if your faith doesn't allow for the miraculous, you'll have a very one-dimensional, mundane faith. What's the biggest miracle of all that Jesus has done in your life? Bringing you from death to life. And the crowds were impressed. They chased after Jesus, verse 22. They, they take a sickie, they take the day off work, and they, they manhunt Jesus down. 
until they find him. That, that has implications. You see, in this society, you got paid every day. So to take a sickie meant that you didn't get any money that day. If you had no money, you had no food that day, and so they're still hungry when they meet Jesus. And they kind of want to know Jesus, but they just don't get it. I think the crowd in this chapter are kind of the warnings for you and I of the wrong type of Jesus to follow. Let's look at the meaning of this story. Who is Jesus not? Jesus is not your slot machine Jesus who will meet your every want and need. He's not your slot machine Jesus who will give you exactly what you desire in life. He's not the guy who will fix your pressing everyday needs. I heard at church recently, not at this congregation, someone said to me, Jesus doesn't work for me anymore. Jesus doesn't work for me anymore? And as we chatted, what he was saying was, I'm still lonely and I'm still single I'm still having health issues. And because Jesus hasn't given me what I really, really wanted, he doesn't work for me anymore. Just seeing life through the lens called me, my needs. That's the crowd. They find Jesus, verse 25. And when they found him, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Look what Jesus says. I love it. Verse 26. He said, I assure you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs. You didn't understand it. You you don't understand I'm God. You're only looking for me because you ate the loaves and you were filled. You're only looking for me because your your tummies are hungry. You're only looking for me because you actually want your tummies filled. You've got a problem. You think I can solve it. And so you're coming to me. Let's be clear. They were very hungry. And Jesus could have fed them. Of course he could. He had the power to do that. But he doesn't. He doesn't want followers who just want Jesus to be their slot machine who gives them what they want. He wants followers who actually trust him. That was the crowd. They just followed Jesus because of their immediate physical needs. And maybe that is you tonight. You've got your ticket to heaven. But your, your, your day by day, your week by week following Jesus is so up and down. It depends on whether he's given you what you want this week. Jesus did not come into this world to help you pay your mortgage. He didn't come into this world to land you the best job you could possibly get. He didn't come into the world to make your social life even better. He didn't come into the world to make you feel better about yourself or to give you the perfect relationship. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus couldn't give you all those things. Of course he can. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't care about those things. Of course he does care about those things, but that's not ultimately why he came. What is your biggest need in life, bigger than your rumbling tummies? What's your biggest need in life? Forgiveness? Eternal life? Jesus. That's why he says in verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes. Stop filling your diaries with stuff that consume you in the here and now, but neglect Jesus. But work for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That's what Jesus promises. He promises to give you eternal life and forgiveness and hope and certainty and assurance. I've been at Synod all this week, and probably the highlight for me was 
uh, when someone stood up to, to talk about Dudley Ford, Dudley Ford was a minister in this diocese. He passed away earlier this year. He shared a story about Dudley. Dudley was the kind of guy who just talked about Jesus all the time. Uh, he had a friend who he'd known for, I think, about 40 years, and he was you know, the staunch atheists. And then he was diagnosed with cancer. So Dudley went to meet with this guy, and he said, do you mind if I read the Bible with you? And to his amazement, the guy said, yes, I'd love you to. And they read the Gospels together. And as Dudley Ford just read the stories of Jesus and presented Jesus as man, you could just see the tears welling up in his eyes. He said, you know what, I think this is true. I think Jesus really was who he said he was. And then this man said, but I've left it too late, haven't I? Why would God accept a dying man like me who has done so much bad and so much evil in my life? Why could he forgive me and possibly accept me? And Dudley Ford said this. He said, well, that's why Jesus came. It doesn't matter when you accept him or how you accept him or what you've done in life. That's why he came, to offer you forgiveness and eternal life. And he led this man to know Jesus Christ and he's, 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 he has eternal life. Please don't leave it to your deathbed to realize that your biggest need is forgiveness. Please don't spend the rest of your life working for food that perishes. Don't treat Jesus like your slot machine, Jesus. He doesn't promise to give you what you want. He never promises you to give you your perfect marriage partner and your perfect job and your perfect health. He doesn't promise any of that. The second wrong thing is Jesus is not your religious worker, Jesus. I find it fascinating in verse 27, Jesus just said that the Son of Man will give you eternal life. And in verse 28, they say, what can we do to perform these works? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, not doing stuff, but just believing it's a classic example, isn't it? You know, you preach the sermon, you preach about grace, you preach about how God does it all for you, you know, to do anything. And someone says at the door, that was a lovely sermon, just go and live a, better, live a better life. But maybe that is you. You know, you read your Bible, you say your prayers, you come to church, you try and live a good life, and you think that will impress God and earn your salvation. There's something in our human psyche that says, I must do something, I must do something. And the bread of life says to you, you don't do anything, you just believe. The third wrong view of Jesus is this sort of miraculous, uh, miracle sign producer, just give me a new sign every day, I need a new sign every day. Verse 30, they say, what sign are you going to do so we might see and believe? And you're thinking, what? You've just seen the feeding of the 5,000, you've just seen the walking in water, and you, you want a sign, another sign today to help you to believe. Lots of people like that. If only I'd seen Jesus, if only I'd been there at the resurrection. He's given you all the signs. What more do you need? That's the wrong view. Who is Jesus? Verse 35. Beautiful verse. Memorize this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am your staple diet. 
I will feed you. I will nourish you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes will ever be thirsty again. He's not saying that you might not have a, a rumbling tummy. He says that you'll be totally satisfied with who you are and what you've got and where you're going. And Jesus draws parallels here between uh, the manna in the, the wilderness and him being the bread of life. Do you remember that story? We heard it read to us. You see, God had already saved his people. He'd already rescued them from Egypt. But they weren't in the promised land yet. And on that journey from Egypt to the promised land, they walked through the desert and they were hungry and they were thirsty and they had problems in life and they would just go through the storms of life. And God tested them. How did God test them? That's the word used. He tested them. He said, trust me. Depend on me. And every day I will, bring, I will rain down bread from heaven. Don't gather too much. Don't gather too little. Just trust on me day by day by day to provide what you need. And on the journey to the promised land, Jesus says to you and I, trust me. Daily depend on me. He's saying, I will provide exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, and what you need is exactly what I will provide. So do you trust him like that? That's the test. He says to us in verse, 25, verse 35, come to me, believe in me, he says then in verse 40, uh, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, he says, look at Jesus, believe in Jesus. And we're supposed to read this chapter and, and think, not think, oh, oh, that was nice, so Jesus can perform miracles. We're supposed to say, I need to come to Jesus. I need to look at Jesus, not just once, but every day and every hour. I need you every hour. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus every hour of my life. I need to have Jesus at the center of my diary, at the center of my work life, at the center of my family life, at the center of my social life. I need to keep coming to Jesus at all times, in all places, because he's the one who satisfies me. And here's what happens, you know. Why do people wander? Why do people who sat in these chairs no longer uh, claim to worship God? Because they take their eyes off Jesus and they seek satisfaction in things that perish. But praise God, so often they keep coming back. Years later, they realize that doesn't satisfy, and they come back to the bread of life. What does it mean to believe? It's the word that we bandy around all the time. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? It just simply means that you trust. He's your rock. He's your anchor. He's what, he's what you keep going back to. He's the one who just controls every part of your life. I love the phrase that you, you put all your weight on him. It's that picture, you know, when you're walking through the bush and you come across this big river, big flowing stream, and this old rickety wooden bridge built in the 1800s. You're thinking, there's no way in the world that it's going to take my weight. And you take the first step onto that bridge and you think, oh, it does take my weight. And then the next step, and then the next step, and... You're halfway across the bridge, and you've totally forgotten that you're walking across this wooden bridge built 150 years ago. You think, of course it takes my weight. 
Now, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. That first tentative step, will he provide? Will he provide what I need? If I make that sacrifice, will he really satisfy me? And you do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. And what you find, he does satisfy you. More than you could ever imagine. So let me ask you tonight, have you come to Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus? Do you keep looking at Jesus? I'm not asking if you came to Jesus 10 years ago. Today, do you trust him to be your bread of life? He will totally satisfy you and leave you totally content in him. You may still be sick. You may still be sad. You may still be lonely. You may still be hurting. But in Jesus, you've got everything you need. Here's what J.C. Ross says. He says, Our past lives may have been very bad, and our present faith may be very weak. And our prayer lives may be very imperfect and our knowledge quite poor. But if you've come to Jesus, if you daily believe in Jesus and look to Jesus, you can be confident that you belong to him. He'll keep you, he'll provide for you, and he'll take you to glory. So I'm begging you tonight, please don't leave here with your one word to describe your life as empty. Isn't that tragic? Please don't leave here an empty person. Leave here a, a full person. Because you've eaten of Jesus and you're totally satisfied. Let me pray. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty ever again. Lord, it's really hard sometimes to believe those words as we just see life through our own lens and all the things that we desire and all the things that cause us pain and sadness. We, we long for those needs to be satisfied. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would meet those needs. But Lord, we trust that you know what we need we trust you to provide for us today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the peace, for the protection, for the provision that you give us. We thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the joy of knowing forgiveness, for the, the confidence of eternal life. We thank you for the people you put around us. We thank you for the, the way that we now see life through a different lens. It's about serving you and living for you and honoring you and bringing people to that bread of life. Help us to live like those people this week. In Jesus' name.